0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 9 of the podcast that goes snicked. Man, we have a whole heaping mess of Wolverine to get to this month. Lots of stuff double shipped, so we'll just hop right into it. Alright, here we go. So we're going to start off with Wolverine 316, which is the sign they hold in the end zone football games in the Marvel U. <laughs> anyway, we have uh, Covenant Part 3. It's written by Colin Bunn. Penciler is Paul Pelletier. David Micus and Cam Smith are the inkers. Rain Barreto and Will Quintana are the colorist. V.C.'s Corey Pennant does the letters, and Mike Del Mundo does the cover, and on the cover we have Wolverine walking up a stone path towards a floating castle in the rain, and we have a little face in the rain, I'm assuming that's the Dreaming Maiden, and there's lots of rain, and it's washing over Wolverine, and it's a, it's a pretty good cover. Not bad. Better than the last one, I thought. There's not any just outrageously strange proportions on this one. So, yeah, I like it. So, where we left off is Wolverine's trying to find the Dreaming Maiden because he hit her somewhere, but the Covenant got her back, and now Wolverine's got to figure it all out. So, that's where we are. So, we start off with a flashback. Isla de la Sombra off the coast of Morocco in 1934. We have Wolverine leading the Dreaming Maiden into a cave where he's going to tell her to stay until it's safe. But she has to quit dreaming or the covenant will find her. Wolverine says that he will come back for her, but you kind of get a look at his face as he's walking away. And you kind of tell he's lying just to make her feel better. Or you get the impression that even if he intends to come back, he knows it'll probably be a while. Because that's how Wolverine rolls. I mean, dude gets busy cutting people up and stuff. And I think she kind of knows that or at least feels like she's going to be alone for a little while. And so we find out how she became a statue, a crystal statue. She did it because she cried crystal out of her eyes and that turned her into a very nice lawn decoration. And then Wolverine turns around and sees her, but then he starts to realize something's not quite right, because he doesn't remember ever being there to see her crystallize. And so he realizes he's dreaming, but the dreaming maiden is tempting him, and she's like, well, if it's a dream, why would you ever want to wake up? You know, Wolverine asks her why she started dreaming again, because he told her that if she did, the covenant would be able to find her. And she says, I waited so long, waited for you to return. I tried not to dream, but when I do not dream, I do not live. I was dead inside and out. And she got bored and she got mad. So then we switched to New York. We had the ghosty covenant lady talking to Melita. They're in a coffee shop. There's a guy who's like, ooh, why is this girl talking to herself? Because she can't see the ghost. And Melita decides that she she has some people that can help her. And she makes a phone call. So then we go to a location unknown. And we see Miss Bloodstone coming out of the shadows. And she's like, Wolverine, wake up. And he groans. (laughs) And she goes, you were making some disgusting noises. And then you were making some different, even more disgusting noises. And he's like, dreaming. Which I think we have a pretty good idea what he was dreaming about, so um, (laughs) I wouldn't want to sit in a dark pit and listen to the sounds of Wolverine uh you know doing that. (laughs) She's like, I guessed as much. I don't need details. And they find out they're in a pit and Wolverine's like, these walls are super thick and even if I cut through them they're electrified, which I don't really know how he knows that unless he just knows uh this guy this dude the steampunk dude all maybe all his prisons have electrical walls and that's why he knows without testing it and so the voltage he says the voltage would cook me from the inside out which you know who wants that we get a cool scene of of seeing the bloodstone wolverine through the the grate looks nice and, you know, might as well take a moment to say right here. I would have said it at some point. Then again, really enjoy Pelletier's art. It looks really good. I like the way he draws Wolverine a lot. And I like, you know, his little shots, his little perspectives. They're nice. So, the art, art all the way around. Pencils, inks, and colors is very nice. Oh, Jefferson Chambers is the uh, the steampunk guy that has captured them. And we get our first snicked. As Wolverine, even though we just talked about how he couldn't cut through the walls, he pops his claws. I think that's just kind of the, so the reader knows he's mad. Like whenever Wolverine gets mad, sometimes, you know, in cartoons, you'll see people go, they'll clench their fists and growl through the teeth so you know like they're mad. I think a lot of people have taken, and I don't, I'm not saying it's good or bad or, I actually kind of like it, I guess, but uh, but a lot of times Wolverine, a lot of creators, a lot of writers and artists, will do this thing where when he gets really frustrating, he kind of gets this er moment and he just pops a claw, you know, or pops his claws on one hand like ah that guy er <laughs> I don't know I think it's funny, but I kind of like it. So, but that's our our first snick of the issue, and then Wolverine hears something, and we we pan out to the floating castle. And there's a little car flying through the air, uh, Back to the Future style. The little, you know, where the little, where the kind of James Bond Back to the Future mask. Remember Mask? The, uh, yeah, the toys where the, the, the vehicles turned into different things. And it had the, uh, the base with the gas station that was like the front. I was remembering the toy was really funny because they had that like, the volcano with the boulder on top. And the boulder always rolled down. But that thing was like right next to the gas station. I mean, that is the biggest safety hazard ever. Like yeah let's have our secret base. And we'll have a boulder on a mountain. Then if it rolls the wrong way. It'll crush our base. <laughs> anyway. but that That's the uh, 80's toys for you. So anyway. But it's the car where the wheels like. Invert under the car. So it can fly. So it's that kind of classic flying car and it turns out that the people Melita called was w- the gang of wolverine's ex-girlfriends the angels that we were introduced to a little while back i like this this little idea um it's kind of silly but it's very comic booky and it works so i dig it basically you have a group of people of women scorned by wolverine have gotten together and i'm assuming they're not all about wolverine so I'm assuming they just decided they had something in common and went on adventures and just do random things around the Earth. And so leader called them and they're coming to, as uh, Seraph will say in a little bit, to save Wolverine's sorry ass. So they break into the castle or get into the castle and they're going to try to find Wolverine. And the ghost girl from the Covenant is leading them and they're walking around and they find some robots and melita gets to shoot a gun like apparently seraph trained her and and seraph asks her you know how to use that gun and melita's like just like you showed me and seraph's like then get to it and they start shooting shooting up the robots and wolverine we get a sniff not a snicked but a sniff as he smells the air and he smells melita and he's like well, even though my memories of her are shot, but something about this feels familiar. So maybe there's starting to be some cracks in what Dr. Rot did, maybe. And so they get Wolverine out and they toss him an old uniform. And it's like the uniform from his first appearance, which, by the way, our episode covering the first appearance is coming up soon. Hopefully sooner than later. And uh, it says, the, the design is a little out of date, but you change outfits more frequently frequently than a runway model and we get a nice panel as wolverine's pulling the old cowl over him and he gets this big smile and he says haven't you heard i'm the best there is at what i do why shouldn't i look my best while doing it which i thought was pretty funny and i'm gonna say this issue goes a long way to endearing me kind of back towards a uh, cullen bun's court there's a lot of little humor in it and but I like that one. <laughs> I like the play on the words and kind of the mockery of, of Wolverine's catchphrase. And Wolverine kind of uh poking fun at himself a little bit. I thought it was I thought it was very clever and very funny. So I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed getting to see Pelletier draw Wolverine in his very first costume. It looks cool. Um, yeah, it actually looks really cool. Wouldn't mind seeing this pop up again from time to time in, in the hands of a good artist. And so Elsa kind of mocks the fact that they're being, Miss Bloodstone, kind of mocks the fact that they're being rescued by what she calls a team of Wolverine's former lovers. And then we get this awesome thing when this guy built like some steampunk robots that are like Wolverine robots. And they look awesome they all look a little bit different and they all look really cool and they're all like yellow and blue but kind of dull and metallic and they pop out these metal claws and their sound is snitchat snitchat you kind of get this i don't know you just get this like i kind of hear the sound in my head of like the the droid army and the uh the first three episodes of star wars kind of the the sound of them like coming off of the ship and that when they're all like sitting down they all stand up and word of life like i don't know in my head that's the sound effect i can kind of get of these wolverine robots coming down the hallway towards our heroes but i love that panel and the sound effect is cool and pelletier's designs on the wolverine robots just look they look awesome because they're not too clean they're like nice and dirty and they look awesome but wolverine kind of gets to it starts attacking them and the fight between them is, is very nice and Wolverine's kind of going to town and they and we get a really awesome scene where one of them slices his arm and he gets mad and he's like they've got claws and speed and the killer's instinct but they ain't the real deal they ain't me far from and he kind of leaves a pile of them and he's walking behind and you see like the slices in his arm like slowly in. I like I like when Wolverine's wounds heal from panel to panel, especially when a good artist has drawn it. So I really enjoyed seeing Wolverine get cut. And as we go through the panels on the page, the wound gradually gets better in each panel. I, I just, I enjoy that. But apparently through some form of technology, the Wolverine robots also have some kind of robotic healing factor. Cause as Wolverine is walking off, leaving the pile of robots in his wake we get a clank chat clank chat clank, clank 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 as the wolverine robots start rebuilding themselves so it is cool the parallel in the art here and i don't know who to give more credit to and maybe it's shared i like to think that this was probably shared so i'm going to give credit to bun and pelletier both on this concept but the idea of As we see from panel to panel, Wolverine's wounds heal. The robots also kind of put themselves together at the same time, like parallel to each other. Um, It's really nice. It's cool. And Wolverine has this awesome look on his face. Velletier does great with facial expressions. He really does. Like, you really get the emotions of what people are thinking. And Wolverine's like, oh, come on. And then you see him thrown out the window. And you see him falling in these long panels. And you get a really nice picture of him, like, falling. And from, you see him from behind. And you get, like, pictures of um, stained glass. Just little shards, like, blue, green, and pink, and red. And it's a really nice panel. I'm really digging this guy's art. It's, I really am. I have you know, whenever I've seen him. Wolverine lands on the flying car, but she shakes him off, and he lands on the ground. The ghost waiting for the covenants, like, well, she, the dreaming maiden wasn't in the castle. And Wolverine's like, no, but she told me where to find her. She told me in my dreams, in my nightmares. And we see the crystal statue of her, and she's also somewhere with some stained glass, so the motif's not too different anyway. And next issue we will be concluded. I gotta say, this this issue really turned this story around for me. I, and part of it is because there was more action than dealing with the actual story of the Covenant, so I enjoyed that more. Uh, the pacing was really nice, the humor was nice, and the art was fantastic it was definitely the best chapter of the story. I, I hope it ends this strongly. I'm pretty sure that, you know, it's to be concluded. So next issue is the last issue of this arc. And I think it's also the last issue of the series or of this incarnation of the series. And if you would go to my Facebook, like the Facebook, you would see where I posted. And a lot of you have probably already heard, but there was the announcement of the additional Wolverine, a new Wolverine solo series as well besides the savage wolverine and again i'll talk more about that when this one actually ends and kind of because i do have some very definite thoughts on those but uh that's that's coming up later well we'll talk about that quite yet but um yeah i wasn't really digging this story and now i am that was a very fun issue like i said just a lot of action a lot of good fun action i feel like it hit in a lot of ways that the the previous two tried to and just worked better and got closer to the target. So I'm gonna give Wolverine three sixteen. Huh? Yeah, you know, I can't decide. I'm kind of waffling between two and three claws. Um, you know what? I'm the story overall and the idea of the Covenant. I wouldn't give three claws. I'm not gonna let it drag it down. I really, I really enjoyed this issue. So I'm gonna give Wolverine 316 three claws. It was like I said. It was just a lot of fun. Hopefully, it'll give what has been a lackluster story some momentum and we can end this uh, this current series of Wolverine on a strong note. I would like to see that happen. And I don't know, like I said, I've liked Caelan Bunn before. I just didn't really dig the way the story started. But this one was great. So, three claws for Wolverine 316. Okay. Do I have to talk about Astonishing (laughs) X-Men? This book is really frustrating me. Um, All right, let's get to it. Uh, Astonishing X-Men number 56. This is... Does it have a... Sorry. So, uh, yeah, just Astonishing X-Men number 56. No uh, chapter title. So, credits. Marjorie Liu is the writer. Mike Perkins is the artist. J. David Ramos and Andre Massa or Mosa, I'm not sure, is a colorist. VC's Joe Caramagna is a letterer, and Phil, no- Phil Noto does the cover. And I enjoy Noto's cover, it doesn't really have anything to do with the story, as yes. but you know, in this day and age, comics, the covers don't always directly relate, and that's cool. And it doesn't really make that much sense. It looks like Iceman is generating Gambit's cards but maybe he's just like I don't know I can't tell if they're glowing with his energy because they chose to do a purple background or if they're just icy like Iceman just made cards to look like Gambit's you know because you know he can shoot ice so he can make them shaped like cards if he wanted to but regardless of whether it makes sense or not visually it's a very nice cover it looks cool the color work is good Iceman Smiling, which is, you know, the the fun-loving Iceman we know and love, would do something like make ice cards and throw them like Gambit and laugh about it. Typical, playful Iceman. So it's good. I like the cover. I really felt like this book was catching its stride. I mean, Marjorie Liu is a good writer. I know she's a good writer. I've read lots of stuff that she's done that's really good. And she's really good at, like, inner. Character interrelational dynamics. I don't know. I, anyway, we'll, we'll talk about it, I guess. Um, no secret if you've been listening to my podcast that I just don't care about karma and we have a very karma centric issue. And the ending leaves a question mark that we'll get to and discuss. And, you know, hopefully, <laughs> maybe Lou is riding her out. I don't know. We do, I, I will say this though. We start off. Because remember the X-Men were buried under the rubble when they found uh, Karma's dad. And Karma's sister, the nanotech lady. I mean, apparently this was all a ploy just to get back at her dad because she felt like he neglected her family and her mom was killed because of it and she wants revenge. And we do get Lou writes a very interesting kind of internal debate with Karma talking about how... And I'll just read something because this part is actually really good. See, I'm not all negative on this book. And like I said, I like Lou as a writer in general. But um, anyway, she's talking to her sister, her sister's talking to her, mostly talking with a gun. But Carmen's thinking, I've been silent all this time, lost in the moment. Caught up in every slam, every hit, every surprise. Taking it on the chin, just like I've taken every other tragedy in my life. Because good girls, good little soldiers, we never complain, do we? What would be the point when we've been raised to believe that no one will listen or care? So we swallow the pain, we silence our voices, and sometimes we can live with that silence. Sometimes. Until the silence becomes something else, until until it deforms us and makes us monsters. So I like the way she plays into like some of the cultural aspect of karma but without making it flat or stereotyped like it's written a very compelling interesting three-dimensional kind of way of of karma dealing with like her culture her upbringing being a mutant being an x-man what happened between her and her father in the past like all of it rolled into one into a very complex thing. And honestly, if anything was going to make me like karma, that dialogue got close. <laughs> I'm still not sold on her, but that, that internal monologue, it almost swung me. So to Marjorie Lee for that, because that was a difficult task. I'm very prejudiced against the character of karma. Well, no, not prejudice. It's not because of her gender or race or anything. I just, Like I said, I don't like many of the original New Mutants other than Cannonball. And occasionally Bane. So, there you go. So I'm prejudiced against them. That team, that old book that I'm supposed to love as an X-Men fan and I just never really got into. Anyway, enough of that. So basically, Karma's dad pulls a gun on Karma's sister, who has pulled a gun on Karma. And we have a nice little standoff. And they basically talk about their family dynamic. I won't give you the Dr. Phil episode. And we have a little interlude in New York where North Star's husband, Kyle uh, ICE, has come to talk about his uh, legal status in the country. And we have a guy saying that he has activated the nanoworms in New York City. The X-Men show up and Karma's sister pulls out her iPhone to press the app. That's gonna kill all the X Men. But it doesn't work. And lo and behold, Iceman's still alive. He comes back and it turns out that when he first turned into Iceman, the nano worms were destroyed. And then Okay, this this is one of the things I hate about this story. I hate what, what Karma says here. We only pretended to be dysfunctional long enough to distract you to keep you occupied by Bobby Went consulting with our people back home. Really? That's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to wrap up this story. And oh yeah, we were we were getting along just fine. We had this plan the whole time. We just argued and we meant for North Star to pretend to push Iceman into the molten lava. And blah, blah, blah. It's a twist in comics we see from time to time. And I'm just not a fan. So they they take on the, the bad guys. And Karma goes inside her sister's head. And they bond. But Karma's dad shoots Karma's sister. And says just pretend I'm dead. And he leaves. Or no I'm sorry. He gets arrested. So we go back to New York. Where North Star is talking to Kyle. On top of the bridge. The George Washington Bridge. And Kyle basically tells North Star. You're not really as much of an ass as you act like. Everybody knows that. And then we have Karma. Messing with her leg. And a little someplace, probably in Chinatown, I guess, based on the decor of the buildings with all the the paper walls and stuff. And she sits down at a tea table and pulls out a little, uh, like one of those fold-up tool belts, and she pulls out tools and is working on her leg. And Wolverine starts to come in. Because remember, Wolverine's in this book from time to time. (laughs) And she says, I don't want to talk to anyone right now. Wolverine basically comes in with one of his cool jackets and he hands her an envelope that says... That she was the closest thing to an heir her sister had, so she inherits the the company. And then basically Wolverine asks, you know, with this news, are we going to be seeing you around? And she says, she'll have to think about it. And then she calls her sister, or calls her little brother and sister. And that's where we end up. That's that! So... (laughs) the reason I, this book kind of frustrates me, or this particular issue kind of frustrates me, is because this this book, Astonishing X-Men, I felt like it came out a little slow out of the gate. And the last couple of issues, Marjorie Lou really, like, got the book to have some momentum. It was really starting to carry, the writing was, the story was starting to look like it was gelling really well. uh, Mike Perkins' art, which is, again, really good in this issue, has been getting better every issue, I just feel like, I don't know, man. I don't want to be one of those guys that just complains. And I'm trying really hard not to. And I know there's there's a certain extent, and I talked about this at the end of Jeff Loeb's last Wolverine run with the Return of Sabretooth, how it's just really hard to end story arcs in comics, because a you gotta transition to the next thing, and because it's serial, comic books are a serial medium, and especially in an ongoing series, nothing really ever ends per se. We have this story where I don't know at the end of the day, nothing really happened. Besides the middle two issues, it wasn't really that much fun. Like it was just kind of, oh, you know, the X Men. And they got nano worms, and we gotta fight some stuff. And go to Magipore and not do anything Magiportian. I don't know. I feel like, cause who dies? Karma's sister, who we barely knew, barely met. And I know, I, I'm, I, shouldn't quit. That happens in comics all the time. That's not necessarily a bad thing. We meet a new bad guy. They die. You know what? For all we know, there's plenty of room for a return. I mean, maybe she had already ingested herself with some nanotechnology that will heal the bullet wound and she's going to come back later. You know, or maybe someone in her company, even though Karma runs it now, maybe he has a secret department like Lucius Fox did in the Nolan Batman films, a hidden area, and he took Karma's sister's body and he's going to make a cyborg. I don't know, there's... There's potential for her to come back. I honestly don't care to ever see her come back, but you know, whatever. I think the thing that frustrates me the most <laughs> is we, we made a point to have Wolverine come to Madripoor in his patch costume. And for all intents and purposes, that only happened So Mike Perkins could draw Wolverine in the patch costume. Like, he was completely irrelevant to that part of the story. Which also frustrates me, because we have the X-Men coming to Madripoor. Sabretooth is the boss of the underworld. We have potential for him to be involved in the story, and he's not. And I'm hitting a bias. I, I wanted to see something and thought there was a really cool possibility for those two stories to come together. Like, if you bring Sabretooth in the mix, it makes the other bad guys cooler, in my opinion. So I just feel like there are a lot of missed opportunities <laughs> because Wolverine doesn't even... We don't see Patch or Wolverine at all in Madripoor in this issue. We see him when everybody gets back. So why didn't he just stay home? If the main crux of him in this story was to get his stomach blown up so he could, the X-Men can find out that the nanoworms existed, and then at the end to come in and ask Cameron whether she's going to stay or go, I mean, that's really the only things he really did of sustenance. So why send him to Madripoor at all? I don't know. (sighs) This. Relax. Take a deep breath. It's not that bad of an issue, but it didn't really hit me the way I was hoping it would, especially after how much the last two issues had improved the story and actually made it very interesting. And then this one kind of made it not interesting again. So yeah, next issue we have Warbird with some swords, and reflected in the swords are Wolverine and Gambit. So that might be interesting. And like I said, I don't want to come down too hard. I like the team on this book. I like Marjorie Liu. I've grown to really like Mike Perkins. So, you know, it's not like I want him to cancel the book or anything. I just feel like, I feel like this book, it struggled with the new creative team. And then it it really kicked up and finally found, like, its way. And then this issue kind of fell flat again so i don't know we'll see but uh, i'm gonna give astonishing x-men 56 i kind of wavered between one and two claws but i'm gonna go with one claw just because of all the stuff i didn't get to see maybe that's the wrong way to rate a book but hey it's my podcast (laughs) all right so now it's time for our segment and the x-men we get a double shot of Wolverine and the X-Men. Issues 20 and 21. So, issue 20. The Search for Something New. Written by Jason Aaron. Art by Steve Sanders. Colors by Frank DeMarda. Letters by V.C.'s Joe Caramagna. And the cover is by Nick Bradshaw with Guru effects. An on cover... We have Angel and Mystique engaging in battle in the skies over Rio de Janeiro. And the nice big statue of the Jesus. And, you know, actually, I, well, I like this cover because I like Nick Bradshaw. And at first, it kind of bothered me because it doesn't really work that Mystique has actual feather wings. Whereas in the story, it more fits her character, where she has like blue bat wings that are just, you know, shape shifted from her body, which I think is more visually fitting. But Mystique can make herself look however she wants. The only thing is, I don't know if she could, you know, it kind of, it kind of bothered me for a stupid science reason, because I don't know like, the reason feathered wings work is because of the hollow bones and stuff, and I guess Mystique can make herself do that, but she can't... She can make wings look like feathers, but not be feathers. But then, you know, I started thinking, and really, (laughs) Angel couldn't really fly either. So, I mean, without some kind of other ability, just having metal little wings isn't going to put you in the air either. So, you know... You, you just have to kind of take all that being an X-Men fan. So I quickly dismissed that. And I do like the cover in that Mystique doesn't have like some weird Marvel Universe slash X-Men, X-Force, whatever kind of gun. She has like two pretty large caliber, but two very realistic militaristic handguns that she's trying to shoot Angel out of this guy with. And the facial expressions are nice. So, yeah, a really nice cover by Nick Bradshaw for number 20. And so it is the search for something new. And remember, we just had Brew Shot by the Hellfire Club. And that's kind of where we're going to pick up. We start off in Recife. I think that's how you say that, in Brazil. And we're going to meet some new mutants. And the first one we meet is Shark Girl. And obviously, you know, she's one of the new mutants after AVX where the phoenix kind of gave more mutants to the Earth. And so we have Shark Girl and she fittingly finds some people who are poaching shark fins and attacks them and then goes and cries herself at the sunset. And then Angel shows up and he's giving the... uh Jean Grey school spiel, trying to recruit her to come and learn how to use her powers at a school where she will be accepted. You know, a nice old school kind of pitch. You know, when Professor X used to go out and recruit Kitty Pryde and stuff, you know, back way back when. So Angel is kind of, as the first official graduate of the Jean Grey school, of that version of the school um he's kind of taken upon himself to be the ambassador and go out and find some of these new mutants and bring them to the school and so he finds shark girl but he scares her she jumps in the water turns into a shark and by the way i like that her name is shark girl (laughs) that's cool at least that's what angel kind of calls her It, it sticks and so she tries to attack Angel under the water when he flies out and tries to get him to calm down. Uh, he calls her he calls her a were-shark, which I thought was funny. And she's like, were-shark? And he says, yes, kind of like a werewolf, but with more teeth, apparently. Angel kind of gives a spiel that we're all mutants alike, and she's like, you haven't done any, been through anything I've been through. You have nice shiny metal wings and long blonde hair and a nice smile, blah, blah, blah. And I'm a girl that turns into a shark. I ate raw fish and almost slashed a man's face off. <laughs> face off. My uh, Nick Cage impersonation there for you. But I guess he's he's going to get her back to the school. We flashed you a few hours earlier where Beast, who looks... Very strange. I like Steve Sanders' art the most of this book. It's pretty decent. It's not like killer best art ever, but it's, it's really good, especially for a stand-in. And I don't I don't know. Um, I'm not familiar if I've read any of his stuff before. It doesn't look real familiar. But I like it. The Beast looks strange to me, and I can't quite put my finger on what he looks like. He doesn't look like a cat, like he's been. And he kind of looks like... A dog horse? Horsey dog? A goat? You know, he kinda of looks like that goat guy from Batman Inc. Just <laughs> as far as this facial feature or maybe some kind of dinosaur dog. I don't know. But but anyway, so Beast is touching testing not touching <laughs> be, Well, this comic got weird. No, Beast is testing Angel and you know basically saying that what was it the life seed instead of recreating the world it kind of got stuck in one and recreated him but it's not really him it's just his genetic code but basically basically has this life seed power coursing through him and the residual of this power has given angel some new powers but it won't let like there's only a certain amount of power that's stored up in him and eventually it'll run out and so every time he uses these powers it depletes and I didn't I wasn't sure and so if you have a, a theory please uh, email me or comment and let me know. I think it's only referring to using the new powers but the way he kind of talks about it, he kind of talks about using powers at all So I'm not sure if like every time he flies or shoots his little blades out of his wings if that, is depleting the life seed as well or if that's just still in his genetic structure as a mutant because whenever, even though he doesn't have any of Warren's memory, then he's not really the Warren that we know he still has his genetic structure I'm assuming. But then if you say that then why were his wings automatically metal? And I'm not, I don't know I can use some clarification. I can use some people sending in some ideas on Angel's physiology as you understood it Coming out of X Force, and then as Beast tries to explain it here. Because I'm interested in it. It's been a good story. I'm following it along, and I'm not, I don't really have a complaint. I am not completely sure on what's going on. I like it. And so, you know, an angel asks about Brew, and that's when Beast says, Is Admiral that you are concerned about him, but when do you talk about you? You know, there's also something kind of mythological looking about this beast. Maybe that's what I'm kind of trying to put my finger on. Almost like something out of Clash of the Titans or something. I don't know, there's just something about his snout that, I don't know, it looks like... It looks cool. I'm not dogging on and not looking cool. It just doesn't look like the beast we've been seeing. I don't know. Enough trying to figure that out. (laughs) I won't mention it again. Promise. And so Angel basically says that well, if the power is going to eventually run out and I can be dying, then there's no reason to waste any time. And he says, in telepathically, he shouts out, Miss Gray, for listening in, please direct me to the nearest new mutant, <laughs> which I thought was funny. <laughs> He's like, all right, well, wherever it is, just send me, you know, mind detects me the uh, GPS coordinates. And I hope I don't know Portuguese very well, so I hope I'm saying this right. It's I A R A. Is that Jara? Yara? Yara or Jara, I think. And I don't know which one's right. and They could both be wrong. Like I said, no Portuguese over here. But um I think it's Jara dos Santos or Yara da Santos in Brazil. And Angel's like such a pretty name. She sounds like a youngly love lady, which of course we get that caption over shark girl still in her human form but her teeth are sharky and her eyes are going black and she's growling at Angel and she tells him to fly back to America you crazy winged hippie I'm not interested in your weird beauty commune Angel's like oh it's not a commune but maybe it could be not such a bad idea and she's like no this sounds too religious like basically shark girl says your pitch sounds like a cult (laughs) which you know The new Angel, maybe it is kind of that way. But then he's like, sorry that I forget to mention the part about Wolverine and the claws and the stabbing, (laughs) which I thought was funny. It's not about religion. It's about providing a haven to young mutants like yourself, a place where you can grow and learn. But then Angel gets shot out of the palm trees, and we have the new Silver Samurai and Mystique. Angel talks about he got it. He recognizes them because he got an A on a supervillain identification quiz, and he also ate, aced his fencing class. And he goes at the Silver Samurai with his metal wings. And Mystique makes a separate pitch to Shark Girl to join her group. And Shark Girl says she's intrigued. And the Silver Samurai tells Angel to give his regards to Wolverine as he tries to slice him with his sword. We get a nice panel of Angel shooting his, his wing shards or whatever those are called. And... Shark Girl decides she doesn't want any part of Mystique's pitch either, and she's walking off, but Mystique sends a stretchy arm around her throat, and Angel and Silver Samurai keep fighting. And he talks about how he knows he has lots of battle experience, but he can't remember it. Angel does. (laughs) It's funny, Silver Samurai calls him a flying hair commercial, and Angel makes one of his new powers from the Life Seed Creation Force. Makes a big glowing energy sword and knocks Silver Samurai out of the air. And here Mystique grows her blue bat wings. But Shark Girl fights through the tentacle around her throat. And when she goes full shark. <laughs> Never go full shark. <laughs> anyway, she goes full shark and chops down on Mystique's head. Silver Samurai is turned on by this. <laughs> But Mystique makes a, a finger sword, kind of like a war blade from the old Wildcats. And she stabs it through Shark Girl's mouth, so she lets go. Kind of like when, you know, you have to choke a pit bull to make him let go of something. Well, apparently if you stab Shark Girl through the mouth, she will take her teeth teeth from around your head. But Shark Girl kind of tastes the blood, and she gets some bloodlust, and she wants some more. And then Angel's like, here, hold this, I'll be right back. And he kind of leaves a sword in the air, and it... Electrocute Silver Samurai. So Angel swooshes in and grabs Shark Girl to try to calm her down. And Silver Samurai is like, "Don't worry, there are plenty more fish in the sea. you hungry for sushi as I am." Then we wake up with Angel in a hospital bed, and Yara or Yara is there, and she thanks Angel for saving her. Um, it's funny she says the big flirt, the big furry blue guy, says he can teach me how to control the shark outs. And Man has appointed me captain of the swim team. And Angel says, does that mean you're staying? And Shark Girl's like, back there on the beach, I would have killed that woman if you hadn't stopped me. And Angel promises to fly her back to Brazil on the weekends. So then we have, meanwhile, somewhere in the woods of Alabama, we have someone making a negative pitch about the Jean Grey school, talking about how it's it's called the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning in Westchester County, New York. And yes, it's even worse than it sounds. If they haven't contacted you yet, they will. We have a girl in a southern princess tank top. And a guy with a war or something cap on and overalls and no shirt. And he's like, ain't no son of mine going to school in no damn New York. I can promise you that. And he talks about how it's the school has been attacked every day since opening day which is like an exaggeration but barely <laughs> and it turns out the young master led better as he's addressed wants to be called Mudbug, and he is a mutant crawdad which is awesome it was like something out of like one of the very first sci-fi movies like the Blue Ragoon Planets from Outer Space stuff. He's like, call me Mudbug. He says, I reckon Wolverine used to be all right back when he was always stabbing folks in their faces all the time. But now he's gone all sissified, ain't he? I heard he don't even use his claws no more except on folks that actually done something wrong. What kind of tree-hugging liberal crap is that? (laughs) And I think Mudbug is awesome because he has his shirt. But he has his extra crawdad appendages, so his shirt is ripped. But I promise you, 99 out of 100 times, and I don't know if this is Jason Aaron thing or if it's this Steve Sanders guy, and we'll see when he shows back up what he looks like or if he always looks like this. But I promise you, 99 out of 100 times, the human arms will be in the sleeves and the crawdad arms will be poking through the shirt. Which is why I love this mudbug guy in his first first appearance, his first drawing, because the crawdad arms are going through the sleeves, which probably means he hasn't changed his shirt since he mutated. But somehow he's punched his human arms through holes in the front of the shirt. <laughs> it just it's awesome because it's completely counterintuitive, and I just really enjoy that for some reason. Um, it just I don't know, it's just it's awesome. So it turns out the guy who tried to recruit Mudbug is Kade Kilgore. And he says, I want to present you with an alternative. And I don't know if this is another new version of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants that Kade is putting together. Or if it's just an extension of the Hellfire Club or what's going on. But we have a guy in Japanese Assassin Mask. Is that the Silver Samurai, the new Silver Samurai when he's not in armor? Am I understanding that right? I can't remember. Um, He's been in Wolverine, the regular series, a few times. Then we have what looks like a skinny mojo chick. She has her eyes held open and she's yellow and she has a mojo chair with a little spider leg, robotic legs. Then we have a guy that I don't recognize. He has glowing eyes and he's in a cloak and underneath his cloak are two more sets of eyes. Then we have Sauron or Sauron, depending on how you say it, I guess. And then I think that Might be Wendigo? It's a really nice drawing of it, whatever it is. Then we have a guy who's like the anti-angel, which I'm, I know I've never seen him before. I don't think. I could be wrong. That guy actually may have been an uncanny a while, a little while back, like in the earlier part of the decade, but I'm not sure. I can't remember. But it's basically, uh, it's basically anti-angel. It's a guy with black wings. And a helmet that you can't see through, so his face looks like a black shield. And he's in a red suit with some cool-looking swords. Anyway, next issue will be Frankenstein's murder circus comes to town. So, um, we got introduced to two of the new mutants being born since uh, AVX is concluded. Or I guess being mutated. They were already born before it started. And we have two new mutants, Shark Girl and Mudbug, which is just awesome very very sci-fi kind of kind of ridiculous but kind of awesome so i am going to give this book i'm going to give it three claws it progresses the story along this is still my favorite x-men book at the moment i think it's the strongest one story progresses well and meet two new characters and they both seem interesting at least for the moment um we have angel. We get more about kind of what Angel is trying to do right now. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it three claws. Okay, so now we have issue 21. This one is called the Greatest Freak Show on Earth. It's also written by Jason Aaron, pencils by Nick Bradshaw, inks by Walden Wong, Scott Hanna, Norman Lee, and Danny Miki. Colors by Laura Martin, letters by Chris Eliopoulos. And Nick Bradshaw and crew effects doing the cover again. And I love this cover. If nothing else, than just because of the Wolverine clown. That to me just looks stupendous. It's awesome. I also like the way how the title is put on a little placard, like a sign for the circus where it's like, The Strangest Heroes of All, Wolverine and the X-Men. Really enjoyed that. Though, interesting. I just noticed this. I didn't catch it earlier. So the credits on the box and the cover are Aaron, Bradshaw, Wong, and Ponsour. But Ponsor, Justin Ponsor is not anywhere. Let me make sure I it. Yeah, no, he's nowhere in the credits on the inside cover. So something may have got changed. That may explain why there's four different inkers on the book. Anyway, we kind of have the, on the cover kind of all the main attractions of the circus. We have Beast Juggling. We have Iceman with some fire swords. We have Rachel Gray with some uh, tarot cards. We have Wolverine dressed up as a a bum kind of clown. We have Storm doing a Houdini trying to pick a lock. And we have Bamps just all over the place. So I love this cover by Nick Bradshaw. So let's get into it. I don't need a recap because we just talked about the last issue. So we wake up with Quentin Quire... And he realizes something is wrong because the school is going crazy. And he appreciates not having the faculty, but he feels like he should try to find them. And the way Nick Bradshaw draws it, it's like he makes like a psychic little mic- big boom mic-filled microphone and a headset, which is kind of cool. Like he's trying to psychically scan for the staff, but they can't find them. So he decides he's going to take off. Let's get out of here. We have Idy talking to the uh, cyborg or the android priest, Father Hale. And he's planning more negative thoughts about how mutants are going to be damned and that school is going to be her ruin. But she's too concerned about Brew. She can't figure out how Brew got shot in the church. And he's like, Well, I wish I would have been there because obviously they don't know, I guess, that this guy's not really a priest yet. But, so Idy runs off, and Kid Frankenstein, who's not, uh, he doesn't go by that because he hates the name. Uh, what is it, Max? Max Vaughn something? It'll be here in a minute. But he's getting frustrated because the priest angle is not winning Idy over. And so he's basically like, I'm just going to knock her out and bring her here. And Kate Kilgore's like, no, you can't do that. She has to join willingly. And he basically reminds him that, hey, remember, you weren't in very good shape when I got here. You'd already ruined your life by age 12. And he starts to call him Frankenstein. He's like, you better not say that name. And we see Kilgore in another hover car, just like in the issue of Wolverine we covered this episode, with the wheels turned under the car and flying around. And Mudbug is hanging out the sunroof, enjoying the ride. So Frankenstein kid is, is uh he's annoyed with the situation that his android's not working. He's kind of annoyed with Cade picking at him. But he walks upon the Circus of Crime, which I don't think is advertised as that, but, you know, it's cool. And then the signs outside, we have a really gross-looking clown, really awesomely gross-looking clown with balloons. And as has an arrow on those old-fashioned, like, Fingers, that reminds me of Monty Python, pointing It says, This way to Big Frank's Big Top Fun. See the man who eats fire. Smell Revolto the Clown. Then we have Storm, and she's blindfolded and locked up in chains, but she picks the lock. She's an escape artist, and she's about to fall into a shark pit, but she flies off. And she's advertised as the death defying wind rider. But she said she doesn't remember how she got there or who she is. But she's enjoying the applause and waves and smiles. Then we have Beast juggling some female lions. And he's billed as the ferocious Beastmaster. <laughs> It's like, someone tossed me another Panthera Leo, so he's still being nerdy. That's cool. And then we have one of the most uncanny, get it, freaks of all, Ice Face. (laughs) The living popsicle. He can't be burned. He'll eat more fire that would turn most men to ashes. I'm sorry. See him swallow enough fire to burn a grown man to cinders. And then, after his performance, enjoy a delicious snow cone shaved fresh off his face. <laughs> I love Jason Aaron. And we have a very bored Rachel Gray giving a fortune. A guy walks up and he's like, Yeah, I'm wondering if you can tell me. And she interrupts. Why nobody likes you? Because you're a creep. The inside of your head is like the squeeziest strip club ever, only with worse music. And yes, your wife is cheating on you. Right now, as we speak, and loving every second of it. And the guy who's like in a bad affliction type cool guy shirt is like, uh, I'm just going to ask for directions to the bathroom. And so Rachel was billed as the amazing star child with an E on the end. Teller of fortunes, reader of minds. Then you have Warbird dressed up as a sexy Indian chiefess or chiefess? 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 Which one's right? I don't know. And that's what she's dressed up as. And she is a deadly and mysterious bird of war. She's a knife thrower. And she comes from far away where we know nothing of her with circuses. Which is, I don't know, maybe a little bit borderline wrong that she's talking about being unfamiliar with circuses and like the white man stuff and she's dressed as a Native American. And maybe that's not the angle they were going for, but that's what it struck me as. Or maybe I'm missing it completely. But she's throwing knives at Shadowcat, but of course they're going through her, and Shadowcat is dressed as a cowgirl with spotted cow chaps. And she's and again, she can't remember. None of them, they all have amnesia. I don't know why they're here or where else they're supposed to be. We have Duke with a snack tray running around, and then Wolverine's like, I'm high, do I know you folks? And Beast is like, my heavens. when well, she should have said, my stars and garters. Even if he doesn't remember who he is, he should still be saying that. My one beef with Jason Aaron in this issue. (laughs) It is not a very serious beef, but yet it's insanely serious. B says, my heavens, and I thought the elephant smelled bad. But one of the guys gets on to him and is like, quit stalling, vomit showtime. And he goes out and he is Revolto the Clown, which is awesome. He's running out with a bucket that has a vomit label on it. And Nick Bradshaw's Clown Wolverine just looks cool. I don't really know how to describe it. It just it looks great. Maybe almost something out of a horror movie, which is, you know, what you want for a clown. they take advantage of his healing factor, he gets hit in the back of the head with a giant hammer or a giant wooden mallet. (laughs) Okay, and even where everybody's getting, like, a circus upgrade, even in that situation, Toad is still the janitor, which just cracked me up. He's outside shoveling animal poop. Great. Brilliant. So then it turns out the ex-student's... Uh, talk Quentin Choir, we're going to run away, let's go check out the circus outside of town. And it looks like they snuck in, interestingly enough, because they're under the bleachers. They figured out, wait a second, there's our staff, there's our faculty, and they decide they have to do something about it, obviously. So then we have a girl with a big blue bear, and her, we have a, a, monk, a monkey and a circus seat like one of the music box monkeys but he has a friday the 13th jason mask on his face which is awesome then a guy in his cell one of those skeleton seats is black but with the bones drawn on which always reminds me of karate kid and these parents are like all right you stay here we're gonna take a ride don't be such a killjoy we're gonna do something we want to do and have fun and then go into a tunnel like a tunnel of love type thing this girl's like, this place isn't happy at all. And so it turns out, when they go into this tunnel, this whole circus for Frankenstein is stealing souls. that he's selling to the devil to stay alive. Or selling, they don't say the devil, I'm sorry. They're selling to hell to stay alive. And so we have this witch lady who is kind of running this this soul-stealing show. And they're complaining, though, because most of the souls are, I keep saying souls. Most of the souls they are stealing is just enough power to keep the X-Men, like, in their mind trap or whatever. But this little girl stumbles into Frankenstein's master booth, and she recognizes him. She's like, oh, you, I've seen you before, you're in my storybooks, you're Frankenstein, aren't you? And she basically says, I know you're not a monster, you're just understood. Which in any other story, the guy would be like you're right finally someone understands me but he's like no i'm not a good man deep down i'm horrible and he puts the little girl in a giant bird cage i'm not the thing from your stories little girl not anymore i'm something that should never have been born an abomination every breath i take is like spinning in the face of god oh he also said something i'm sorry I, i missed when she calls him frankenstein he's like that was the name of the man who brought me into this world Very many years ago, he gave me life from pieces of the dead, where all I've ever been called is Frankenstein's monster. And he basically says that his calling is to destroy all of the Frankenstein family. And at this point, I had a very big duh moment. Like, I can't believe I did not make this connection. Like, it's really obvious, and I feel really stupid. We knew from the beginning, when we introduced the Hellfire Club with the kids, that there was a descendant of Frankenstein on the team. Now, at that point, I had no reason to believe we would see Frankenstein again. I mean, as far as I know, he only had a few appearances, like back in the late 70s and early 80s, or maybe mid-70s and late 70s, I'm not sure. But he was in a Chris Claremont on Candy X-Men, and I think in a really old Avengers, I'm not 100% about that one, and a few random stories and he disappeared. So I had no reason to think that he would be making an appearance. But even then, in the last couple of issues, like preview solicitations, like coming up, Frankenstein's Mad Circus, I still didn't put it together that, oh yeah, Frankenstein's Circus is coming to town, and we have a concurrent story that involves a descendant of Frankenstein. This should be interesting. And it is interesting, but it never clicked in my head until this page right here. And I'm ashamed to say that. I should have caught it a lot sooner, but I didn't. And I, for some reason, felt compelled to admit that to you guys. But basically, he's, he's in Westchester because he knows that the last surviving Frankenstein is somewhere in the area. But the witch is like, we've drained most of the adults in the area and we haven't found him yet. But the ex-kids, ex-students confront their staff, and they're like, you're the X-Men. Listen to us. You're under some sort of mind control, but we're here to help. We're here to take you back to the school. And Quentin Quire is like, speak for yourself. I was just starting to enjoy the show. And he was. He, he and often, before they butted in, he's like, can't we finish the circus first and then save them? But also, in this particular frame, He's staring at a half-naked warburn with a giant smile on his face as he says this. So a little double entendre there. But the witch tells the X-Men, Seize the children, my slaves. Every child you see, we get our first snicked as Revolto the Clown pops his claws. <laughs> Which, by the way, not immediately, and I don't want to be regular, but I would love and like... 8 or 9 years. I almost went with 10, but I decided to go random. I'd like to see a call back to Revolto the Clown at some point in Wolverine's not super distant future, but not near future either. Like down the road. like some Enough time for everybody to forget about it and then bring him back in. Just saying. I think it'd be cool. Just for the visual aspect alone. So anyway, the X-Men are going to try to capture the X-Kids because they fit the bill of every child in sight. And the Frankenstein kid is outside. He's like, Where the devil is everyone? Who do you have to kill to get a corn dog around here? And we see a fist pound through the counter. You will find no sustenance here, boy. Welcome to the murder circus, young Frankenstein, and congratulations. You just became the main event. I like the way Nick Bradshaw draws Frankenstein with kind of the. Kind of a twilighty twist on the old school Victorian. Is it Victorian? Or is it past Victorian that Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, I don't know. But that kind of dress. I like the way Nick Bradshaw draws it. Kind of a modern twist on the, the old timey dress. And that's where we lead off. Next issue, we uh, have a cover of Wolverine as a Clown and the X-Men Circus Folk have tied up the kids. And I gotta say, and I will probably mention this again next episode, or whenever I talk about this issue, whether it be next episode or in a few episodes, I will probably mention this again. But there's a point in... uh, Avx consequences where Cyclops is arguing Wolver- with Wolverine, and he says, "Someday a kid's gonna show up to your school with me on your sh- with me on a t-shirt that says Cyclops is right." And on the cover for Wolverine the X Men Twenty Two, if this cover stays the same, Quentin Quire under a sport coat has on a t-shirt with Cyclops's face on it. <laughs> so I thought that was awesome, a great callback, and just fantastic. Yeah, like I said, I'll probably mention that again next time. but I couldn't help but mention it here too. So, this issue like the well one before it was really fun. Uh story swinging along quite well. It's, you know, typical Jason Aaron. It's funny, good action, good character development. So, I'm going to give this one three claws too. So, yeah, both 20 and 21 from Wolverine and the X-Men get three claws. Both fantastic reads, really strong, really funny, good art. Yeah, gotta say, right now, Wolverine and the X-Men is still my favorite X-Men book. Though, I will say the first episode of all new X-Men has been very intrigued. And I was super skeptical about that book. Not That's not true. I was not sure about that book. On the one hand, the concepts sounded kind of dumb to me. But on the other hand, I almost always like Venice to various degrees from, from like... A lot to love, so I knew it'd be well written, and I'm I'm very intrigued to see Ben kind of take on the X universe after what he did with the Avengers stuff. Um, but yeah, that book might potentially give a run for the money, and it looks like Uncanny might with this relaunch be pretty cool again. Finally, but yeah, I take that back. It's been pretty good, but this is definitely Wolverine the X Men has definitely been. The most consistently strong X-Men team book. For quite a while now. And so... It's still hitting them out of the park. So like I said, three claws for both issues. Alright, moving on. Alright, so now we're going to dig into Uncanny X-Force. Got a double shot of that this month as well. We have the Final Execution Saga. Chapter 9, The Father Who Must Be Killed. In Chapter 10, From the Cradle to the Grave When all... uh, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) So Uncanny X-Force, Issue 33 and 34. Both written... The credits are the same, so I'm just going to read them for a unit. Written by Rick Remender, art by Phil Noto, color art by Frank Martin Jr. and Rochelle Rosenberg, cover by Julian Titino Tedesco and Dean White. Oh, you know what? Except for an issue 34, we lose Rochelle Rosenberg and Dean White on their respective duties. All right, so the covers, both pretty nice. We have Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler on the cover of 33. He's got blood splatter all over him and on his swords. On issue 34, we have Kid Apocalypse in the armor walking up behind Wolverine holding a flaming corpse. Very reminiscent of that scene towards the beginning of this story that we were promised we would get back to. So, I'm getting called back to that. So, both covers are pretty good. I wouldn't have minded seeing No-Tone take a cracks because I like his covers a lot of the times. But, can't complain about these. They're both pretty good. So, kind of a neither here nor there type situation. Alright, so these two issues are going to end the final execution saga and I believe thirty five is just gonna wrap up the series and we'll talk about more about that at the end of this and when we actually get to thirty five. But um but these are the last two parts. We're we're ending Final Execution Saga, which has been a really good story. So we start off, you know, the New Brotherhood has kidnapped Evan or Kid Apocalypse, and X Force has tried to go rescue him. But Mystique has promised to serve up Blob to Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler, so he betrays the team. So we open issue 33, with Wolverine running down Mount Apocalypse. Which is a big mountain of snow, with Apocalypse's head carved in it like Mount Rushmore. And we have Logan running down the mountain and through the snowy forest naked. And someone's talking to him, it says... Charles put such effort into helping you overcome the fear the furious thing. But not me. I didn't try and change you, did I? I accept you for what you are. I set you free, Logan, free to kill our enemies, free to do what you do best, and you, fretting around indignant that you didn't enjoy the work. You liked it so much you went on killing behind my back. Now this boy will become apocalypse unless you end him. And as our methodology sinks to meet the monsters on their level, our world crumbles. And it turns out Cyclops is talking to him. And we see the celestial ships in the sky. And Cyclops has Kid Apocalypse on the edge of a cliff. And Logan's like, step away. I won't let you push him. And Cyclops puts his hands up in the air. I don't need to. He'll jump. And he does. But it turns out, at least in this dream state, that Cyclops is really an apocalypse. And he's like, don't worry, Logan, it's all part of a greater plan. And Wolverine wakes up. And he is tied up with what looks like some old Omega Red Coil. So I guess some... What's that? Car- carbonium? Car- carbonadium? What's the name of that thing? It's that material that slows down the healing factor. Uh, we had some pretty cool stories in it. In the Wolverine Origins series. But he wakes up and he's tied up in what I'm assuming is that stuff. And he's at a table with Doc and his son. And he's like, want a drink? Of course you do. You're a drunk. What a tough and neat drinker you are. Stubway the inebriated manslaughter claw clown. <laughs> that was really funny. So Doc is going to kind of give him a hard time here. He's like, who better to run to school for confused kids? I'm not judging. I know the animal intimately. Turns out the spasming vengeful manic gene gets passed down. And he gives a toast to nature. And he slams a cup down. He says, Watching you with a hero act always made me feel bad about myself. The denial of my nature caused self-loathing, hating the very thing I was genetically intended to be. How can anyone love anything when they hate themselves? He yells. You murder people and still call yourself a hero, a teacher, a good guy, a gust of a lie. Not me. I'm not trying to fit anyone's interpretation of what a man should be. And you hate me because I'm true to what we are. Wolverine's like, I don't hate you, I'm sad for you. So desperate for your old man to see how good you are. Your pain, your needs, they don't mean a damn thing, kid. Nothing does, it's a dance. Short and frantic through a brief period of time. You and me ain't never gonna get another chance at it. We die, we're dead forever, until the end of the universe. And this is how you chose for it to be between us. I gave you pass after pass. And Dawkins' like, You gave me? Who the hell are you to give me? And Wolverine's like, I'm your goddamn father! And I got love for you, but you got it all wrong. Everything, son, you're making such a damn mess. All you're leaving behind is a stain. And they stare at each other for a minute, and Dawkins' like, A stain. Do you ever think about how it could have been? what it would have been like if you'd been there to raise me, to really be my father And Wolverine. Of course, Phil's regret looks down. And Dokken continues, When I was growing up, I used to think about it. A camping trip, a game of a catch, my old man teaching me to ride a bike instead of those cold bastards beating me. My nannies, it was their job to make me love them as if they were my mother's. Once I did, they'd try and kill me. The only way to survive was to kill them first. After the third one, I stopped falling for it. I was seven. I was in hell, so I had some time to think to dream about what it would have been like to have a father and mother who loved me. and Wolverine says that he's sorry. <laughs> and Dawkins gives another toast to regrets. All right, so we have one of the Omega assassins beating on Deadpool. And, of course, remember that they were, were raised with artificial memories of the X-Force uh, characters doing horrible things with them, like killing their parents and of them and stuff like that. And Deadpool's like, lady, you're making me wish I really did beat up your mom. And she's like, jokes! And she beats him on the head with a monkey wrench. You made jokes then, too, you remember? You laugh as you beat and cut her. And I hid in the closet watching, and she beats... The whole time Evan's stared at the Apocalypse suit and Deadpool's trying to talk him out of it. He says, it's a choice. You don't have to do it. All of this is a choice. And Omega Black is like, says the paid killer. Says the maniac. And I gotta say, it's the first time I really noticed this. It may have been mentioned before. But I like how these little Omega clones have different color names. Like you have Omega Black, Omega White. It's cool. You know, obviously the call off of Omega Red. Very nice touch by Reminder. And might as well, since I'm mentioning him, take the point here to say that everything from the creative team-wise in these books is both really good. I've enjoyed Reminder's run and Phil known to his art. has been fantastic on this Fatal Execution saga, or Final Execution saga. It's been really, really good art. And the colors and, and inks are all really good too. So, Deadpool makes another appeal to Evan... Then we have Psylocke and the Shadow King duking it out on the astral plane. Psylocke's getting beat. We see her back in real life, but she doesn't know who she, she doesn't know what's going on. And so, Age of Apocalypse Blob walks into a very James Bond villain room, where of course you know they're underwater, but you see sharks swimming around outside. And so he comes in. He thinks Mystique called him, and. Age of Apocalypse, Nightcrawler steps out of the shadows with his swords and he tries to stab Blob, but he can't. But he hits some of the glass and it cracks. And of course, Nightcrawler's mad because in his Age of Apocalypse world, the Blob killed his wife. And he even says that. He says, sleeping, he's taunting Nightcrawler, and he says, sleeping with a man's wife is rotten, but I ate yours, ate legs, ate face, ate everything. And Nightcrawler actually smiles as a shark floods into the room with some water, and he picks it up, and he's like, perhaps you're still hungry, my friend." And he teleports the shark inside the blob, which is just plain evil, but kind of awesome. <laughs> and he teleports out, and he says, Linda, which I guess was his wife's name. I didn't really follow all the Age of Apocalypse stuff, but I'm assuming that's his wife's name. He says, Linda sends her regards a gruesome pig, and the blob starts vomiting blood. Because the shark is basically eating him from the inside out. Like He couldn't penetrate through the blob because he is an immovable object. And I guess this one even has unbreakable skin to a degree. So he took the shark inside. And the shark is eating him from the inside out. And he's drowning in his own bloody entrail vomit and the water that's flooding into the room. Then Ava walks up and like, there, you've had your revenge. Time to pay for it. So we go back to the father and son bonding session. And Dawkins like, oh, I drank the whole bottle. Chip off the old block. Let's open another one. And Wolverine tries to appeal to him like, we can start over, Dawkins. It's up to us. And Dawkins says, I've considered that. You make some good points. But I'm about to, I'm about to cross a point of no return. In fact, I already have. And he drops Wolverine into a little pit. He has a little trap door at the end of the table. And it starts filling up with water. And it turns out that Evan was brought to Dawkins' side. And so Dawkins starts talking to Evan. He's like, you see, Evan, all these years, no one can kill the old man. Wolverine pops his claws with a snick. He's like, Evan, get away from him. Get out of here. And Dawkins like, they try and try. And the little creep heals and heals. But you know the secret to killing Wolverine, Evan, is frighteningly simple. And this probably don't really get. I've never seen, I'm not saying it couldn't exist, I've never seen clear adamantium. But Wolverine cannot cut through the glass. So it has to be, right? Email me with your thoughts. Email, email, email. Come on, guys. I haven't got a single email yet. So email in or post on the webpage or on Facebook. But, I mean, to not, for his adamantium claws to not be able to cut through, It has to be adamantium, right? That's the only material that can't be cut? So I guess they found a way to make adamantium glass. They don't address this at all, by the way, in either of these issues. But for whatever reason, Wolverine can't cut his way out of this room. But Doc is like, it's frighteningly simple to kill him. You just drown him. It'll take some time, but deprive the brain of oxygen long enough and it suffocates and dies, no healing that. And he turns to Evan. Would you kill me to save him? Well, and he punches Evan. And he punches him again. No, fine. You want to like this? You got it. You watch him die as he watches you. And Wolverine's pressed up against the glass underwater. (laughs) Deadpool's waiting on the ground. He's like, and remember, at this point, Deadpool's lost his healing badger, so he's really getting his ass whooped. He's waiting on the ground. He's all beat up. And he... Classic Deadpool. He's like, 99 bottles of my blood and teeth on the floor and 99 bottles of blood and teeth. And Omega Black brings up Evan who has been beat up and throws him down at Deadpool's side. And she says, he's alive. I stopped docking before he killed him. And Evan's like, we can't stay here. He's drowning Wolverine. He's crazy. He'll kill us all unless I do it. And Deadpool actually makes kind of a decent point because I was kind of wondering this myself. Because I've seen Wolverine come back from eh, just about everything, including being atomized down to his skeleton. But Deadpool says, He can't kill Wolverine. Logan will get us out. It's the only way these capers go. He'll get us out, and we'll beat the Brotherhood. You'll see. He's done it a million times. Please, please, Evan, stop it. This ends badly. We've been warned, kid. If you do this, it ends badly. You have to stop. Evan gets in the apocalypse suit, and he's like, Stop. I've just started. We're gonna jump from there right to issue thirty four. And Dawkins watching him on the monitor, he's like, Kid, finally put the suit on. Days of mind games and all he needed was a swift kick in the a swift kick in the ass. I've been telling Creed all along. And he tells Wolverine as he's drowning, quote unquote drowning, that he's gonna they're gonna put the Shadow King inside Apocalypse's head and send him to destroy Wolverine's school. Kill his students and all his friends. And announced to the world that X-Force existed as a mutant hit squad, a kill crew, and this new apocalypse is punishing them for that. And Wolverine will go down as the villain, which is kind of what Dawkins wants, instead of being the hero. And he goes, "'I wanted you to see us break Evan,' and that he chose to put on the armor. "'Bad people do bad things,' is born into us. "'No matter how we negotiate with, with ourselves, our true nature always rises to the surface.'" And that right there is like the effing thesis to this whole story. The whole—I mean, this whole thing, Wolverine in general. A lot of the times, and Kid Evan. I am Kid Evan. Evan Kid Apocalypse as a character, all his character development that's led up to this. This story. All of this really boils down to a very interesting, very well written, very dark, very epic. Put all those adjectives in front of it because they deserve it. But it basically boils down to just an awesome story about nature versus nurture. Wolverine thought and Beast thought if we can guide this kid, even though he's a clone of Apocalypse, we can make him be okay. Wolverine's whole life is I have this berserker rage. I have this feral mutant thing, this killer instinct. I can be the honorable man instead. Like, it just sums everything up. I thought it was really cool. You know, we've seen it said before, but just at this point in the story, it really hits. Because we're getting right ready for the climax and just to hear really the thesis of what I think the core of what Wolverine is and the core of what a lot of these characters in X-Force are. To come up here right at the height of the story was just perfect timing. Reminder gets like two giant thumbs up from me for that one. Um, I don't know what do you guys does anyone else think that it was like as powerful as I felt it was as, as emotionally uh, resonant as I felt like it was All right, so anyway we move on to Cyclops and so it turns out she's having trouble remembering what's going on because she made her she had forced self induced amnesia to allow her mind to escape from the astral plane and we see one of the Omega guys carrying the one of the other guys. And and Psylocke says, You know what? This is BS. All your memories are implanted. Let's set the record straight. So then we have Eva, corner's nightcrawler, who swears that once he killed Blob, he was gonna go back and help. But he was like, No, you deserve to die here. For all your piety, you push us to the ground to snatch your grizzly prize. No more rationalizations. And he teleports to the nice bamf. But he was like, I've observed you long enough to calculate your patterns. And she puts the sword right or you know, she can form her, her arm into a big blade. And she throws out blade right where Nightcrawler teleports to. And he gets his comeuppance. And I gotta say, I'm glad to see it. <laughs> I miss Nightcrawler to death. But I miss my Nightcrawler. I don't really, it's been interesting and it's been an important part of the story. But I don't really care for this version of Nightcrawler. He's not the Kurt I know. And that's okay, but I'm glad to see him kind of get put in his place. And Eva says, For revenge, you jeopardize our entire world. Whatever ethical fiber you imagine yourself being made of, it's a lie. You are a selfish coward. And... Nightcrawl says, I hope you learn to forgive me. And he teleports away with his... Hole in his gut. So we have Kid Apocalypse chasing down the skinless man... They come across Phantom X's body, and I guess he has Phantom X's heart in a jar. And we have a little inner dialogue from Kid Apocalypse saying that he understands what Wolverine saw. That he has to kill certain types of people. You must see a thing for what it is, and when you see evil, you end it before it spreads. And he kind of, the skinless man shows him the heart and says, you know what? You can fix him. Let me go and you can have this heart and fix your Uncle Cluster. And as Evan starts to reach for it, he breaks the jar and the heart falls on the ground. Which I thought was just mean. But he says that was his last joke. Then we have, we know it's Deadpool because we see the yellow word balloon. It's like, bummer, your last joke and I just butchered the punchline. And he stabs the skinless man right through the throat with a sword. And he's like, that's for Phantom X. Probably goes without saying. (laughs) And Ken Apocalypse is getting pretty upset. He's like, how? How can people be this horrible? And Deadpool's like, whoa, just take it easy. Calm blue ocean. Calm blue ocean. Say it with me. Apocalypse kind of starts to glow and explode a little bit. And he's like, how can people be this decayed? And he causes a big explosion, which knocks in and destroys his helicopter as he's trying to escape and the Shadow King runs across one of the Omega Assassins, and he pull, somehow pulls a Shadow King inside of him. It's like, Omega White, eat psychic energy, energy, the stuff you're made of. And so he gets inside the android, or whatever it is, and Psylocke stabs it with a psychic blade, and she says, I don't 100% get this, but I'm going to go with it, I erase the artificial mind of Omega White so there wouldn't be a consciousness for you to manipulate. You'll be locked inside this spectral vegetable forever. So, yeah, I guess they will. (laughs) And then the next scene, on the next page, we turn the page, and Deadpool is giving Wolverine CPR. Wolverine wakes up all wide-eyed, rolls over, and throws up. And Wolverine tells Deadpool to get everybody together and get ready to escape. But of course, he has one last thing of unfinished business. And Apocalypse is like, I have the power. Power to protect my friends at school. Power to protect myself. Cyclops runs across him, but he slaps her down. Remember, he's got a lot of power now. He's, he's got kind of Apocalypse-level stuff going on. So he sees through her, knew it was Mystique. And he's about ready to kill her. But Nightcrawler teleports in. And teleports his quote-unquote mother away, even though this mystique is not really his mother, and she's a terrible person. So Dawkins climbing out of the rubble, and Wolverine catches up to him. He's like, good, you got out, it's better this way, more honest. And he pulls out a double schnicked and he tries a pheromone Wolverine, but he can't. Wolverine, ceiling factor kind of doesn't really work as much. We get an awesome scene by Noto of him jumping at Dawkins, and he's trying to help himself, trying to keep himself from going berserk. He says, you have to deal with him, not the animal. He says that to himself, Wolverine does. Dawkins gets a nice chunk of Wolverine's face and Dawkins is going berserk. He says, you're going to wish you drowned, he yells at his dad. And Wolverine thinks, showing the old man how good he is and he smashes his face into him. Okay, I don't know why there's a fire hydrant on the brother, new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants base, but there is. And he smashes Wolverine's face into the fire hydrant. And Dawkins is like, what are you holding back for, old man? Right now is it. And a very beat up Wolverine agrees and he goes after Dawkins hard. But we have the dialogue or the conversation from last issue running through his head. And it flashes of scenes that didn't happen, but Wolverine thinks could have happened. So, do you think? Do you ever think about how it could have been? What it would have been like to have been there to raise me? And we see a picture of Wolverine tying a young Dawkins' shoes as his mother is in the kitchen. To really be my father, as he slams Dawkins' face into the mud. When I was growing up, I used to think about it. We see him on a camping trip, as he says, a camping trip. <laughs> Normalcy. Dawkins is drowning in the in the puddle. He makes some gurgling sounds. My old man teaching me to ride a bike. And we have a little nostalgic scene of Wolverine pushing Dawkins on a bike. Instead of those cold bastards beating me, we're back to Wolverine holding him down, I was in hell. I had time to think. Wolverine and Dawkins playing catch. To dream about what it would have been like. A very beat up Wolverine's face in turmoil, still holding down Dawkins. To have a mother and father who loved me. How different it could have been. And Wolverine and Dawkins' mom standing in the doorway as Dawkins goes off to a school dance. How different I could have been. And Dawkins is drowned. Wolverine's bleeding out of his eye socket. And he clutches Dawkins' body in his arms as Apocalypse walks up. Or Kid Apocalypse. And Wolverine says, I, I'm i sorry. I didn't protect you better. It's, it's my, my fault. And Kid Apocalypse actually says, This was the only way it could have ended. You didn't have a choice. And we get a voice from the side. Sure he did. And he chose to kill his own son. You remember that. I know Logan will. And Sabretooth walks up clapping. All the cuts I've given you over the the years. Here's the deepest. Hell, this right here. This is why I set it all in motion. Had to put in some hours with your boy. Desperate for some father adoration. Kid was a snap to manipulate. Now, you might live a long life, runt. You ain't never going to sleep a full night without this gurgling up. You ain't never going to forget, not this. I wish you many long years of living your son's face while you drowned him. And an epo- Kid Apocalypse steps in and punches Sabertooth in the face. You monster! You deserve to die! Punches him again, super hard. And again, beating Sabertooth's face in. He's like, go on, kid, do it. Let him watch. But Wolverine steps in. Look around you, son. This is revenge. This is what it gets. And Sabertooth says, I know what it got me. I likes it. As he runs off. Wolverine kind of collapses onto Apocalypse. It's all a mess. Ain't a thing. Ain't a damn thing solved. You see that, Evan. For the love of God, tell me you can see that. And he carries Wolverine to the ship. Avis Avis turned back into a ship. little orb-type ship. Psylocke puts her hand on Kid Apocalypse's face. They have Phantom X's body. They, weigh, they weigh, lay Wolverine next to it. Cyclops looks out as the Brotherhood base is exploding. We get a close-up of her face and her determination. She walks past Deadpool, gets in the pilot seat, and flies them out of there. And we see Wolverine laying on the table as one good eye opens up. And he has another could-have-been flashback of him spinning around, docking in the park. And that's where we end. And that was freaking gut-wrenching. This story was really, 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 really good. I loved it quite a bit. I give both these issues three claws. Um, I'm going to guess we're going to follow Kid Apocalypse. I mean, he's still going in Wolverine and the X-Men I'm going to think that this story gives us a very good story reason to get Wolverine out of X-Force. Because he's not going to be on either of the X-Force teams. So, I think this is kind of the straw that breaks his back. I really honestly think, for the most part, we're going to see... You know, Wolverine's character has always been kind of cyclical. Any any long-standing, really big character is going to go through periods. And some of those periods are going to remind you of other periods. And they kind of go in cycles. Sometimes the cycles are really long. Sometimes they're kind of short. I could be wrong. I don't know exactly what's going to happen in Savage Wolverine or the new solo Wolverine series. I have a feeling that we're going to get Wolverine. is going to be trying a lot harder to not kill as much. Now I can say he's not going to kill at all i not going to say he won't feel like he has to from time to time anyway. I feel like we might, and I could be wrong. So please feel free to agree or disagree with me. Send me an email, snitchcast at yahoo.com. Let me hear what you think, especially on this. If you don't email about anything, email about this. But I think we're going to get to eat a Wolverine coming up in Marvel now, who is very much... Going to try even harder. I mean, the whole Wolverine story is about trying to be noble with the beast inside. You know, whatever. Like I said, nature versus nurture. I think we're going to see even more. Him step back even more from the line of rage and brutality and and bloodshed. I mean, as much as, as a character like Wolverine can. And I feel like AVX and th- the way this story just ended... Are gonna be the major proponents of that kind of shift for Wolverine, and I think that's really cool because they're both both those reasons are very compelling story come from very compelling stories. The narrative that we've had of Wolverine over the last couple of years, especially since Schism, is driving him to a place to where I think his character is going for the short short term, and it makes sense. And it's interesting, and it's cool, and I love it. I love Wolverine. I love him going through all the cycles he's been through. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. That's just my theory. that in Marvel now, we're going to see a Wolverine who's even more conscious about killing. It feels even guiltier and regrets it even more when he has to do it. And I think this is a good exit. Obviously, we have, we have one more issue, issue 35, and Wolverine's on the cover. He'll probably be in it. But I think, and I'm sure there'll be maybe a mission or a fight, but I think that's going to kind of be a wrap-up issue for Uncanny, this version of Uncanny X-Force. And then Wolverine's going to step back. And we also have seen a lot of Psylocke. With her development, and her face... No-No draws perfectly. Her facial expressions in the last few pages of this this issue... Lynn very much... And from the, uh... Where they went to the alternate future where she was in charge of everything. And she came back and decreed no more killing. And from killing one of the Apocalypse clones. All that leading up to Psylocke. Gonna very much set the tone for her Uncanny X-Force reboot or relaunch or whatever that she's going to be the team leader and we're I think we're getting a pretty good glimpse into what the tone of her team is going to be. So that's really cool. Yeah, very satisfying end to a very satisfying story. I'm glad we have her on uh, Uncanny Avengers because I was going to, I would miss not doing him on this podcast anymore but uh, we're going to get to keep him around just on a different book. So I'm looking forward to the next issue on his wrap up on X Force, but uh, it's been a really enjoyable, satisfying ride. And I'm going to give Uncanny X Force 33 and 34 both three claws. Fantastic. Great read. If you haven't read them, get on it. Come on. Let's go. And speaking of going, let's go. Okay, so uh I'm going to pull the plug on the episode right here. Obviously, once I edit. It won't be this long, but as it stands right now, I have over two hours of material recorded for this episode before I trim in any of the fat. So I'm gonna go ahead and uh, go ahead and cut it here. I hope my goal is to have this episode out the Monday after Thanksgiving, which, if that's the case, and that following Wednesday. We have Uncanny Avengers, Astonishing X-Men Annual, and Wolverine's on the cover for all-new X-Men number 2. And I've heard he's going to be in that book a little bit, which makes sense, and I'll talk about that in a minute. So that's three issues, plus I I need to cover uh, Wolverine's appearances, and the two Avengers issues that came out in November. Uh, I think it's 33 and 34 or maybe it's 32 and 33. Now I think they've been on the same numbering as X-Force. So I think it's 33 and 34. And so I'll still talk about that. And that'll be pretty brief. But I think between all of that, that's going to be a maybe a bonus mini episode, but a pretty decent sized one. So, and trying to add all that onto this episode is going to make this one pretty dang long. So I think I will, will break it at that point and that's going to kind of lead me to a question and I would really you know I kind of joke pander for well it's not really a joke I I cover it up with laughter because it hurts to do it otherwise but um you know I I, I do re- I lo- would love to have feedback just in general but really for for those of you listening and then, According to the stats on my website there are people listening to this so you know from the stats I get from podbean um I'd really like some input if anybody feels so inclined at all on uh, what I should do regarding as we move into 2013 because we're we're getting precariously close to uh some 90s level exposure of of Wolverine. And I want to make sure to at least touch on as much of it as I can. Um, you know, I have made a decision. I don't know if I've vocalized this yet or not. So I'll take the, the time to drop this if I haven't. I did make the decision since it's not in continuity. And I thought the art was atrocious. Though Jock did the covers and the covers are looking awesome. But I have, a, I have made a decision as a, as a consumer to pass on Wolverine Max. And I don't feel too bad because it doesn't really count. (laughs) And honestly, I I flipped through it and, and read part of the first issue in the comic shop. And it just, it's not my thing. I know there are people that really enjoy the Max books and more power to you. But it's not something I really enjoy that much. And since it's not in continuity, I don't feel compelled to, like, I have to give that to you guys to cover so I'm not gonna read it. But that said though, twenty thirteen, like I said, we, we we've got a lot of Wolverine going on. Um the main Wolverine series is ending but in its place we're getting two new ongoing series in the regular Marvel continuity. We have the Savage Wolverine and just regular Wolverine. So we're trading one series for one monthly series for two. Okay. I'm not sure yet whether Wolverine is going to be staying an Astonishing X-Men or not. My instinct is that he will. I don't know if he'll be more... You know, for, for kind of the team leader, the last couple of arcs, he's been a little more not so much in the forefront, which is fine. I don't know if that'll continue or if those are just those particular stories, that's where he fit and Marjorie Lou's plan, and he'll have more going on later, I'm not really sure, but as, I, as it looks, my guess is that he'll probably stay in Astonishing X-Men, because they'll want him as the, kind of the biggest draw to be on one of the regular X-Men team books, I would think, and that team does kind of operate with his school as a base of operations. So my guess is he'll stay on Astonishing. Obviously, we're going to keep talking about Wolverine and the X-Men. A, because I love the book. And B, because Wolverine's in the title. And we had a few episodes back where he was uh, strangely missing. But, but he's pretty much in every issue for the most part. With a few exceptions. So obviously, we'll be covering that. Um, What else do we usually do? Uh, we'll be trading uncanny x-force for uncanny avengers so that just kind of is a is a straight swap there will always be kind of the random appearances i know uh, he'll probably stay in most of this punisher war zones miniseries and there'll kind of always be other little odds and ends coming up that he'll be in but on top of that it looks like Though he's not going to be on either team per se, it looks like he's going to have at least a tertiary involvement in all new X Men, as has been explained to me. Kind of the intention for Marvel, and obviously, I think Bendis said this: readership will determine what the true flagships are. But the intention of Marvel is that the flagship X books or X Men books, I think you can classify Wolverine as a flagship X book, but it's not a team book. So the flagship X-Men books are going to be Wolverine and the X-Men, all new X-Men, and the new Uncanny series. And so I see Wolverine probably popping up in some of those. Obviously, he's, like I said, he's in Wolverine and the X-Men. May not popping Uncanny all that much, but I bet he will from time to time. And from what I understand, he's going to be at least, like I said, at least on some level, involved in all-new X-Men. So that's a book that we'll have to talk about from time to time. And the first issue was great, so I'm not foreseeing a problem with that as far as my taste goes. Um, Also, though, and I don't know if this will last, how long into the series this will last, but at least starting off, the Uncanny Avengers team is supposed to be really involved in the new Cable and X-Force book that's coming out. In 2013 for Marvel Now. And obviously if Uncanny Avengers is going to be in a book that stars Cable. You would expect a decent amount of Wolverine being involved in that. Him and Cable have kind of a a history anyway. So you would just expect that to kind of play out. And he's also going to be on at least Hickman's Avengers team. From what I understand. And so then you throw in guest appearances and suddenly the material that I will want to cover on this podcast got a lot heavier. So I've been trying to kind of, and I'll play it by ear a little bit as we actually get to this point in time, but I am, am kind of looking ahead and trying to have some kind of plan so I know how to give you guys what you want. And so some of the things I'm thinking about are some of these options and I would like to know... They're just going to read the first email I get and say, alright, well that guy said this, that's what we're doing. But I will really want to hear your feedback and weigh that into my decision making process. So some of my uh, options are, you know, one of my favorite podcasts I listen to is a DC podcast called called Raging Bullets. I've talked about them before. I think I have, I have a link to them on my Podbean website. And they've, they've given me a, a few shout shoutouts. Um, they quite frequently have very long episodes. Um, I usually in the three-hour range, and which I love because I listen to it at work, and that's a big chunk of my day that I get to listen to comic books while I'm uh, working on stuff at work. But there's also two of them, and they have a really good dynamic. I think it's easier to listen to them for that length of time. And I feel like it doesn't feel like it's three hours. Like it's a good podcast, it's interesting. They have a really good interplay down and the thing goes a lot quicker. Or feels like it does. I don't know if I by myself I can talk for three hours. (laughs) I don't know if I would want to listen to it. And so I have serious questions about whether other people would want to listen to just me For that amount of time. Now maybe you're listening at work too. Or in the car. Or while you're working out. And maybe you enjoy the longer podcasts. If so let me know. And let me throw that into my consideration. The other thing I can do is. Besides some of the just bonus episodes I've been doing. I can can break the monthly episode. Like the normal episode pattern. Up into chunks. Maybe I do two weeks at a time. I don't I don't think we're going to get enough every week for me to do a weekly episode just on current issues. But maybe I do every two weeks. Maybe I just do two episodes a month. Another option is I try to make my segment shorter. That is on initial thought the least appealing to me. But maybe that's something you guys would be interested in. Um, If I don't... You know, I take, for example, this episode's uh, segment on Astonishing X-Men. I like to talk about Astonishing X-Men because it's about a team of X-Men that, on at least a cursory level, Wolverine is the leader of. And so on a Wolverine podcast, I feel like I should address the issue and... Honestly, my inclination, I have a certain way I like to talk about these issues and I hope it's enjoyable to y'all. It's enjoyable to me and I've had fun doing it that way. But to me if I were to be if I were to be 100% honest, I, the segment I just did on Astonishing astonishingun Act, even after I edit down is gonna be like in the 10 to 20 minute range at least. And for a book that only had like two or three pages of Wolverine, I could have abandoned my pattern and probably covered it in, like, five, maybe less than five minutes. Maybe that's something y'all would want me to do. Maybe kind of cut to the chase and only actually talk about the parts Wolverine's in. Or maybe, you know, another podcast I love listening to is the Uncanny X-Cast. You know, I've mentioned them before. and They're a great podcast about X-Men comics, and honestly, they kind of fly through... The issues, they talk about a lot of other stuff that's great to listen to. So I'm not saying that in a negative way. I love the podcast. I listen to it every time it comes out. But review wise, when they're talking about the actual issues, they they go pretty quickly on a very surface level. And so maybe that would be an option. I still put one episode a month and cram everything in and just talk less about it. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly how I want to handle it. But those are some things to think about that I'm kicking around, in, and I would honestly really appreciate for y'all to kick around and, and give back to me on that. As usual, uh, please like the Facebook page. I want to read some more names from that. So I'd love to see your name on there so I can read it for you. Email me. You know, it occurred to me that maybe some of my listeners are only getting this through iTunes. so Maybe you're not actually seeing the website. I don't really know how that works. I actually listen to all my podcasts from websites I find through Google and links from other podcasts and all that jazz. I don't ever actually, because I listen to work and we can't put iTunes on our work computers, I don't listen to anything really through iTunes. So I don't know. Do you see websites? If not, then maybe it would do me good to tell you that my website is you know www.snitcast.podbean.com, and on that website, obviously, there's all the episodes listed, but they're listed with show notes, kind of how the episode breaks down, links, and stuff. So go there and can leave comments. Uh, leave if you are getting it through iTunes, like I suggested was possible, you know, maybe leave an iTunes review, but definitely like the Facebook page and please send me some emails. That snitchcast at yahoo.com. Oh, and then, you know, there was one thing I wanted to list to mention. Um, Alright, so there was one thing in Wolverine and the X-Men number 21 that I really meant to talk about, and I just forgot. And it's just a one-liner from Jason Aaron that's quite hilarious. But I wanted to say it because I thought it was hilarious, and, and it pertains to the subject matter and title of my podcast. So when they first introduced Revolto the Clown, which was funny enough in its own right, before he gets hit on the back of the head with a big hammer, he says, Snickety-snick, little bubs, here it comes! And then he gets whacked on the back of the head. And I laughed out loud when I read that, and I meant to talk about it when I was going over the issue, and I just glossed over it somehow for some reason. But the snickety-snick, little bubs... That may pop up from time to time. I may make a, make some callbacks to that from time to time. Because I thought it was quite hilarious. So anyway, that's, that's that. Like I said, I'm going to drop this episode here. I'm still crossing my fingers and really hoping to get the episode of Wolverine's First Appearance as the 10th episode. If I can't get it done and edited in that, I'm not going to delay everything else just to make sure that's number 10. But I want it to be, and I'm going to do everything I can to make it be, but if it just doesn't work, then maybe I'll make it 15, or maybe I'll make it just the first episode of 2013, starting a new year. You know, or I don't think I'll wait all the way till 20, because I have maybe something else I would like to do for that one. So, um, but yeah, and then, mm, so either... Th- Next episode or the episode after that one, hopefully, fingers crossed, episode 11, I hope, will be this and not 10. We'll uh, we'll finish up November 2012 with the books I mentioned. And yeah, that's about it. This has gone on long enough. And we can't take any more. So with that, take care of yourselves, and I'll talk to you soon.